Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Andrew Baxter to the Philacrosophy podcast. Andrew's the head lacrosse coach at Fairfield University, a first-year head coach. Was a longtime assistant at uh, Yale, where he was uh, defense coordinator, associate head coach, and they won a national championship and uh, spent a lot of time coaching since 2002. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jamie. Really appreciate it, man. This is, uh, this is awesome. Yeah, fired up to have Sorry. you on. The Philacrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program, now featuring a seven-day free trial period. And here's your host, Jamie Monroe, with more information on how you can get your hands on some of the best lacrosse content out there for free. How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to my podcasts. I've had so much fun doing them. I only wish that I'd started recording my lacrosse conversations like 25 or 30 years ago. Now, if you like these podcasts, you will love the content I've created in the JM3 coaches training programs and the academies. Whether you're a coach or a player or a parent, there's so much great information for you guys. I've done this content for men's lacrosse and women's lacrosse, for box lacrosse, field lacrosse, youth lacrosse. And the great news is I've created a seven-day free trial. So if you're tired of endlessly searching the internet for great content, just go to www.jm3sports.com slash free trial. And you can get access to all of the content I've created for free for seven days. Trust me, when you take a look at it, you're going to want more. Almost everybody gets hooked. All right. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. So you, um, you spent a lot of years uh, honing your craft as a player and a coach, and I would love to uh, hear about your coaching journey. Um, uh, and, but if you want to start it back in Rochester, as you got introduced to the game and some of your mentors as a high school athlete, I'd love to hear about that too. Yeah, for sure. Um, so obviously growing up in Rochester, uh, a hotbed for lacrosse upstate New York. Um, but my high school actually didn't get lacrosse until I was in eighth grade. So eighth grade was the first year I played. I played modified lacrosse. Um, and it was the first year of the program in the high school. Some of the programs in the area had had lacrosse for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. But, but uh, Brighton High School, where I went, just started a program later. And um, so I played eighth grade, played JV lacrosse, ninth and tenth grade, and then, and then varsity lacrosse. And, and being a new program, we didn't really have uh, – <laughs> many lacrosse coaches so we had football guys and wrestling guys coaching lacrosse you know so yeah um it was it was cool i had i had some i had some some good coaches though that were 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 guys that i looked up to for sure um tom mcmillan who's uh who's a guy who's still up in roster coaching uh i think he's coaching uh women's lacrosse, women's high school now at russian right. um and uh cool memory actually about coach mcmillan was uh national championship game 2018 i'm out on the field and I hear someone yell my name, back, say back, say back. So I, and, I, and I look over and it's Coach McMillan and his son. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is like, this is so cool. Um, he was my JV coach from ninth to 10th grade. So, um, and uh, 
you know, we, we, we got, we got our butts kicked for a while, a couple of years in uh, the Monroe County league up in Rochester. And, uh, that was, uh, that was quite an experience. Um, but, uh, you know, grew to, uh, love the game, played with some, played with some good guys. Pete Millman was a uh, high school teammate of mine, actually. Oh, nice. Yeah. Pete and I graduated together, which is crazy. Not a, lot of people, a lot, not a lot of people know that. Yeah. Pete Millman, the head lacrosse coach at Cornell for those people who don't know. Yes, yes, yeah. So Pete and I have kind of grown up in the profession and, and have known each other for a long time. And it's funny, we've in high school we were we were we were friends and we had we had mutual friends, but uh, I think we've gotten a lot closer as we've kind of grown up grown up in this thing together. So it's kind of cool, kind of neat. Yeah. You know. Well, it's kind of crazy too how like when you're in this lacrosse world that like your best friends always seem to have some kind of a tie to lacrosse. When you reconnect with somebody, it's about lacrosse. And totally. It's totally. It, it, if they're not in the lacrosse world, you still love them, but you just don't get to talk to them as much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly, exactly. And that's probably it. You know, I see him. I see him more now than I did, uh, you know, in college and, and all that. And yeah. uh, so it's kind of cool, um, especially obviously being in the Ivy League. I used to, you know, see him, you know, last couple of years, a couple of times a year at least. Yeah. <laughs> and then recruiting and yeah, all that stuff. So it's it's, uh, it's pretty neat. Pete and I's uh, relationship has grown, and that's that's been that's been fun. Um, awesome. Yeah. So that was cool. Um, and then from there, actually, I went to uh, uh, a state school in New York, uh, Potsdam State, and played for uh, Rick Berkman. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah. Um, played there for two years um, and had a great, had a, had a great lacrosse experience. Uh, just, just the school educationally wasn't, wasn't the right fit for me. So I moved on uh, from there to Springfield, where I played for Coach Bugby for, yeah. uh, for uh, two years. I was there for three, um, but played two of my years. And, um, you know, obviously had a, had a great experience there. It was probably the greatest decision I ever made was to transfer to Springfield College. Just, you know, that, that place is, as, as you know, and a lot of people know, that there's a ton of Springfield guys out there coaching. Oh, I was just going to say there are so many Springfield legendary coaches. Why don't you rattle off a few for people? It's unbelievable. Play? Yeah, well, so I worked with Nick Myers at, uh, at Ohio State. Uh, him, Nick and I played together, graduated yep. uh, 01. Um, who else? Jason, Jason Miller was my assistant. Uh, my first year at Springfield, he was the, uh, he's the head coach at St. John's. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Nagel, who I worked for uh, at, at Colgate, his first two years, he was a GA at Springfield. Brian Breck was a GA at Springfield. Um, Brian's John, now a coach at Rutgers. Coach at Rutgers, yep. John Kopacki was my assistant coach after Jason Miller, who's now the head coach at Western New England. Yep. Jeez. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of the other guys uh, coaching college now. Uh, Brad Jorgensen down at St. Leo. Yep. John Quirk was at Endicott uh, for a while. Now he's the AD up there, coach of the Boston Cannons. Um, who else? Uh, there was a Springfield um, grad that I did a podcast with recently is Mike Boyle, the strength and conditioning coach. Oh, yeah. Legendary yeah. strength coach. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've never met him, but I know I know exactly what you're talking about, the, the Boyle strength and conditioning. Wow, is that guy – he is really interesting and smart. I believe it. Yeah. I believe it. Yeah, the strength and conditioning piece is, is uh, has come a long way. Um, and Springfield's known for that, too. So, uh, actually, the guy uh, the guy working with us or working with our program here at uh, Fairfield is a Springfield, uh, Springfield guy as well, exercise science guy. Oh, yeah, so, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, How about my boy Johnny Bay? Do you remember? Did you ever know John Bay Ruther? He was a Springfield yes. guy. Yeah, that, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, 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 of course. He was just in that Denver for uh, an O. Three and 04. 
Yeah, totally. Do you remember? Do you remember when I when I totaled my car at the King of the Hill, and you and you and Coach Bayruther gave me a ride to the airport to get a new uh, rental car? <laughs> now like, you mentioned it. I, I was like when I was in Ohio. It was when I was at Ohio State, so it was probably maybe like two thousand nine, yep. two thousand ten, maybe. And I smashed my car. I I, I got T bone right at that crazy intersection at Swarthmore College at King of the Hill, and like I walked over the fields, and you and Coach Bayruther were the first two people I saw, and I was like, you guys are. You guys aren't going to believe this. I just got totaled. So, <laughs> yeah, I know Coach Bay. Uh, that was a good paid forward moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, talk to us a little bit about Coach Bugby. Um, I've met him uh, over the years. Don't know him really well, but just an awesome guy. Yeah, for sure. Coach Bugby, actually, uh, him and I, he's another guy who, um, as the years have gone by and and uh, okay. gotten more into this coaching thing, who I've grown a lot closer to. Um, last so this year he came by our one of our practices towards the end of the fall him and his whole staff and uh we went out and, and uh or after practice did some did some uh, chalk talk with him and, and caught up about kind of some some philosophies and that kind of thing and then we went out to lunch which was uh an awesome experience for me and then last year he came and uh, brought his whole staff to a practice at Yale as well and I spent the day with him so it was kind of uh it was, a, it was a really cool experience for me to have a guy that, that coached me in college and had a great impact on my coaching career and come back and, and kind of watch me do my thing and, and, uh, and want to hear from me. So that was very humbling and, and very cool, you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, obviously, you know, Coach Bugby's been through a lot over the last couple of years. Um, and, uh, but he's, uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a guy that uh, a lot of the Springfield guys look up to um, in terms of, of having a great impact on their – their lives and their, their, their careers and, and all that good stuff. Um, he's just kind of like one of those guys that's, you know, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low and, and doesn't change really over the years. He's still the same guy he was, you know, 20 years ago when I was playing there. And uh, I think there's something to be said for that in terms of, of, uh, of a foundation of, of, you know, morals and, and uh, the, the way he lives his life. So yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, so how did you decide you wanted to get into coaching and how did you get connected with Nags through, through uh, that Springfield? Yeah, exactly. So I was at Potsdam State and, and uh, trying to figure out what I wanted to do and, and uh, kept coming back to, to lacrosse and sports and being like, you know what, I got to get into this coaching thing. And um, When I was looking at schools originally coming out of high school, I was looking at Potsdam and Cortland. And, you know, Cortland obviously being a great PE school as well and just didn't get a – didn't get a great feel from the school for whatever reason. And so, uh, you know, was looking at Springfield being like, well, this is, you know, the best physical education school in the country. Let's, let's give this a try. And, and so uh, it just ended up working out. Um, and then uh, got hooked up with coach Nagel when I was at Springfield through Jack Lepacki, my senior year, um, told coach, I was like, you know, I want to get into coaching. You, you know anyone for me? And I was talking to Billy Bajornis at Hartwick. Yeah. Uh, I want to be like a volunteer there for a little bit. And then uh, I think Coach Nagel, what ended up happening was I was I graduated mid-year in December. And uh, Coach Nagel had an opening on his staff um, needing someone for January. And so I couldn't have been more fortunate that he took a chance on me. I remember going up there for an interview like in December right before the holidays um, after I just graduated. And uh, he offered me the job and I started in January and I, I had no idea what I was doing or getting into or anything like that. And, uh, um, but have, you know, John Klopacki to thank for, for all he did for me with that and got me started with the, with the coaching career. Who's I guess still owe him to this day. It's like incredible. You know, he's yeah. been a huge mentor for me. 
uh, along with along with uh, Jim Nagel as well. They were they were huge in in kind of get pointing me in the right direction and and telling me what I needed to do in order to to to, to get to you know where I wanted to be and and uh, you know I, I give them a lot of credit for seeing a glimmer of hope in me at that point when I was 22 years old and yeah long hair and you know hemp necklace on and not knowing what I really wanted to do. <laughs> Uh, that's great. So talk about your experiences up at Colgate. Uh, pretty cool actually. So, um, obviously it was, it was, uh, coach Nagel's first two years as well. And, uh, he obviously was building, building a culture there and, and trying to get it going. So we went through some, some, some rough patches. I remember that first like year, um, just in terms of changing that culture with, with butting heads with, you know, um, older guys in the team and, and kind of the, the way that he wanted to do things versus the, the things that they were, they were uh, used to kind of some of the things that, that I'm going through now, you know? Um, but it was, um, it was awesome. You know, and it, it, I was doing face-offs. I was working with the goalies and I was basically stringing all the guys sticks on the team. So I was kind of just like, uh, you know, a jack of all trades Swiss army knife for him. He didn't, you know, I wasn't really ready to, to coach offense or defense necessarily. I remember coach uh, helping uh, Coach Nagel out a lot on the offensive side of the ball with the, some of the developmental stuff initially and thought that was really cool. And, you know, I had some face-off experience for my playing days. And so I was doing the face-offs. And then I was, you know, obviously the young guy at staff. So I was warming up the goalies and doing all that as well. Um, so I got to learn a little bit of kind of about everything uh, my first couple of years, which was really cool. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it was it was a great experience. I remember uh, the, the the one uh, one conversation I had with with Coach Nagel, and, and he was like, "You really want to do this, huh? You want to get into this coaching thing?" I was like, "Yeah, I, I think so," you know. And he's like, "And I think I, I said this on uh, on another podcast I did, Jamie, but he 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 told me uh, he goes, "All right, well, he goes, he packs. Here's what you got to do. He goes, you got to uh, this summer pack up your car with as much stuff as you can put in there, go out and work as many camps as you can." Like, like just, just go and meet as many lacrosse coaches, as many people as you can, as work as many camps as you possibly can and, 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 and coach and, and really hone your craft out there. And, you know, I think that's my, my biggest advice for, for young guys looking to get in a profession now is like, just, just go meet as many people as you can yeah. talk to them about lacrosse. You know, there's not as many opportunities for that anymore because we, this, this was back in the day when you had the, they had the teaching camps and, and the older guys would, 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 sh the young guys out there to do either the demo or they would have you do like the station where you do 10 stations of of, of off-ball defense in a row coaching you know middle school or high school kids or something and, um, and you, you got know, the advantage of of you know having breakfast lunch and dinner in the dining hall sitting down with coaches that you didn't really know that you really wanted to meet totally that too you know and you and I remember sitting yeah I remember those those conversations I sitting down and at lunch and, and one of the coaches that you, you know, you, you, you knew would come up and say, Hey, nice job with that, that uh, off ball defense station. You'd be like, wow, really? So you was like, all right, cool. Uh, but like just learning to hone your craft in terms of hearing yourself talk and, and, yeah. and, and so teaching the fundamentals of how you, and to really kind of developing your philosophy of how you thought the game should be played, you know, or like, yeah. You know, and you don't really know at that age, but you're just kind of like trying to figure out like, hey, maybe you should hold your stick this way or, you know, here's how you should play off all defense. And then you kind of like, you reflect on that and you're like, ah, oh, that doesn't really make much sense. But, you know, some of it does, some of it doesn't. But um, but I think that just that act of, of meeting people, like you said, and, and having those conversations at the, the breakfast, lunch, dinner table and 
and uh, interacting and just talking lacrosse is, is something. What were your favorite camps that you would go to at, at back in the day? Uh, so obviously the uh, the Peak ones the peak performance camps, you know, yep. with all those Springfield yep. guys I mentioned before. And then there was a bunch of uh, high school um, guys from New England that worked those camps every year that were, they were, uh, they were uh, legends. And then, uh, um, so it was peak performance and then the peak 200 recruiting camp um, where all those guys worked. And I got to, to build relationships with those, the Springfield guys. That was cool. And then uh, I worked uh Cardigan mountain camp. Oh yeah. Uh, Couple years, yeah. Um, that, was, that was another one where they would just be like, "Hey, young guy, you're out there, work the demo," you know, <laughs> the four v three demo or whatever. It's like, okay. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, going back to that story, I was talking about Nagel. The, the one I remember going down because I, I, I ran into Coach Pilot the other day at, uh, at a recruiting event. And I was, he was, I was telling him about a story about how I remember, I remember uh, going down to work his goalie camp in at Roanoke my first year at Colgate or whatever that summer, just because it, it was like a the timing of it worked out for that camp. And I remember going down there at Roanoke and working at goalie camps. Uh, I worked his goalie camp in Roanoke. I worked his goalie camp at like Kings Point. I think it was Kings Point School or something like that. And, yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, like just, I remember just all those teaching camps. And, and, and funny is like, so I remember working uh, Coach Spencer's camps here at Fairfield as well. Yep. Yep. And so a lot of people this as well. Like that's, rem I remember when I, that was like 20 years ago when I came to campus here and I was like, wow, this place would be awesome. You know, and, and, and kind of always had that 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 memory in the back of my head too, working those camps and being like, well, this would be a really cool place to work and, and kind of yeah. So um, yeah, again, going full circle. So um, pretty interesting. So um, one of the best players to ever come out of Fairfield, the town, ended up being a Colgate player right around the time you were there, and that's Chris Eck. Were you, did you recruit him or did you coach him? I recruited him. Recruited so him. Yeah. yeah, so I didn't. I was kind of on the later end of the recruiting process with him, but I, I, um, I remember his official visit and all that, picking him up from the airport and, and recruiting him, having phone conversations with him throughout that time. I, in, when he was in about seventh grade, I had this group of about 15 kids from Fairfield that I coached every Saturday morning from like nine to 1030 right. for about 12 weeks. And I got to know Chris Heck and then I blinked an eye and all of a sudden I was, you know, he was facing off against us uh, when, when Bulgate had some really good years with those guys. Um, they did really yeah. nice players yeah 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 absolutely and that was you know obviously something i learned from from coach nagel the recruiting piece like he did a good job those those a lot of his years there recruiting yeah. guys up there and getting like you know good kids from that not a lot of people knew about and um yeah it was pretty cool so then you moved on to uh drexel yes yeah coach, coach bates. bates yes so i was i did five years at drexel um and it was one of those things. Another one, I, 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 I tell my assistants this all the time. I remember because we were just got back from the convention a couple weeks ago. And I remember going up to Coach Bates at the convention with my, with my Colgate business cards and hanging him a card because I'd heard that he had, was going to have an opening on his staff the next year. And I introduced myself um, and, and said, hey, I'd be very interested in talking to you about the position you're going to have next year at Drexel. I'm an assistant at Colgate. He had no idea who I was or anything like that, you know, and, and – uh, you know, shook his hand, had a conversation with him a couple of weeks later and, and remember going up there for a couple of interviews. And, um, but just a cool story about networking at, at those type yeah. of things, you know, going back to that, that back to Coach Nagel telling me how to, if I really wanted to get into this thing. So, um, yeah, so I did five years at Drexel with Coach Bates. It was awesome. Um, great what did you, uh, what did you learn from Coach Bates? What are some of the stories or memories that you have on? Um, so, Actually, so the field—I don't know if you—you've you, been to Drexel, I'm sure, right? Where the the field is located, like away from the 
campus kind of thing. Yeah. So we used to, uh, I remember having this conversation with Coach Bates. We used to uh, purposely drive recruits kind of um, through the, um, it wasn't the greatest part of town you had to drive through to get to the, out to the field. So in order to get, like, after a couple of years, we, we, we developed this philosophy of driving the recruits kind of a, more of a rugged way to get out to the field just to get the reaction when they got to the field to see if this was a kid that could, could that wanted to make that drive every day. Like, yeah, right, right. Being in the city, because it's urban, you yeah. know, and, and not a lot of people were like, they didn't, they didn't, I don't think a lot of people understood that when they got on campus or they didn't re realize it until they got on campus. It was kind of like one of those things where we would take kids, you know, through the city and then get the reaction when they got to the field to be like, hey, is this a kid we really want to have uh, in our program? Is this a kid that, that knows what he's getting into and, and, and really wants to go to school in the city and, and kind of, uh, you know, uh, make that trip out to the field every day so um i remember having that conversation with him being like how you know being we were always be like well how did he react to uh the driver how did you know how was how was it out the field and this this that kind of thing so um but yeah coach bates uh had a great impact on um on uh my coaching career for sure he uh pushed me you know gave me a lot of responsibility uh for a young guy which which i can't thank him enough you know and um one of the coolest things. So, so when I first got there, I was coaching offense and I was helping um, coach Bates with the offense my first year. And Jim Rogalski, um, who's out of Michigan now, was the yeah. time assistant at the time running the defense. Yeah. Um, and so uh, Jim's still one of my closest friends to this day. Um, He's a defensive coordinator at Michigan now, right? Yeah, right, right. And he, uh, him and I lived together my first year. But uh, the, uh, I remember I was helping coach Bates out with the offense and, um, and then my second year, he gave me basically offensive coordinator role, which I was like, wow, this is going to be awesome. And, and uh, I remember having, you know, a lot of conversations uh, with him about, you know, moving from kind of a uh, jack of all trades type of guy to a coordinator role. And uh, I remember him, uh, him talking to me um, about that. And we, we went through Coach Tierney's kind of uh, – video together i remember coach tierney made a uh bill tierney made like the, the coaching one of those uh sports production videos yeah was it are you referring to the um um the princeton way defense yes yes exactly i mean i've watched i watched that video seriously 50 times i mean yeah that was that yeah. was like the you know the bible of videos anyway yeah yeah exactly so actually that might have been the so that was actually the next year so so i did offense for a year but then the next year i was like hey coach what do you think about me coaching defense because I was kind of, I was kind of still finding my way, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and I was like, you know what, I might relate better to these guys. And I was like, the offense wasn't great that year, and I was like, you know what, let, let, me, let me try defense. And I remember then that's when the year we watched the defensive video or whatever. He had some notes for me, and we kind of watched parts of it together. And he was like, if you're thinking about defense, here's how to kind of get your, you know, form your formulate your thoughts and kind of, you know, there's there's ways to play the ball, there's ways to play the adjacent, and uh, there's ways to slide, you know, and, and kind of that was. Uh, coach Tierney's like three principles or three things you could adjust if you will yeah. uh, and so it be, it, 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 I still remember um, those notes and, and having those conversations and being like okay like here's how you you know these are things you need to think about as a coordinator and that kind of thing so um, that was that was really cool but but he gave me an opportunity right out the right out the gates to to you know get my feet wet and cut my teeth with with coaching offense the first couple of years and then and then and then really develop as a defensive coordinator my last three years there um which in 2006, um, Jeff Snyder, who played for me, you probably remember him, the face-off guy, um, was the MVP of the World Games 
when Canada upset the U.S. and they kind of took that step. And I, I didn't see those games. They weren't televised at the time. But I remember asking people what Canada was running on offense. And they were like, oh, well, they were running this pairs offense. Yeah. And it was – they had three pairs instead of doing triangles. Yeah. And I remember Batesy and I used to always talk about offense and box lacrosse and how to, you know, sort of connect the dots between those two games. And I remember that summer in August driving down University Boulevard on my way, you know, home from the office and talking to Batesy about literally about that. And he has just turned that, you know, I mean, he and Brundy um, yep. have made it into the offense that, um, you know, that everybody is running now. Where, do you remember the sort of the beginning stages of building that offense? 100%. Yeah. We, uh, and I think that was part of the reason he kicked me over to the defensive side, too. Because you're like, funny, funny, funny you ask, Bax. You want to coach defense? Well, I'm going <laughs> to. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly how that came about. Uh, yeah, no, I, I remember that totally. Um, and I remember. Uh, the uh, the infantile stages of that, and then him like laughing at me trying to coach defense against it the first time he like ran it at practice, yeah. and uh, we were doing we were like in these parallel universes of like of what we were kind of doing because we at Denver we were doing uh, versions of it that were a little bit different, and I, I I but Batesy just like loved it to the degree that he just took it to a whole other level. He did, yeah. We we went we went basically. Um, wholesale with the thing I think it might have been that first year or that that my third year at Drexel there we had uh, we had some good personnel for it and uh and it was it was a matter of you know what you wanted to do with the with the pair behind whether you wanted to leave right. them open or you wanted to put the guy in the crease and, right. and the guy at x based on you know kind of yeah. getting defended or or if you wanted to move, how you wanted to move those guys but the the two guys uh, the two pairs on the wings were they were the staple you know they were they right. were in their two-man game with the ball or the off-ball they were doing that they had their they had their scripted motions uh, I, I remember messing around with pairs of like we did uh almost like a drop down three three pair where we had a low a, it was more of a low offense of low lefty pair low righty pair and then a crease in the top guy right 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 the crease, the crease and top guys would exchange and seal and it really made it difficult you could get awesome like underneath moves where they didn't where they would slide get no second or sometimes you could come topside and get really nice fade action. It was kind of before – it was right, right as Dave Cotto was kind of really pioneering all that fade action that you see now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Really, yeah. really uh, interesting stuff with pairs. We think about it as just sort of what we've seen out of, you know, Batesy through Drexel and Princeton and, and you know, what, what everybody has kind of built it to being. But there, you can put, kind of put your pairs anywhere. In fact, I think the way the Canadians did it was out of a circle where they had a lefty – wing and x yeah and they had like uh a righty pair and then they had two top guys that kind of just played that might have been lefties also i mean it's just right, right, right. yeah pretty interesting. it is no it is and it depends on your you know you gotta you gotta recruit to it and you gotta yeah you gotta be balanced a little bit you know what i mean yep yeah it's uh it is pretty cool um the, uh, were you uh, the defensive coordinator when uh drexel beat us out in denver and you guys played zone with a short stick in the low lefty spot and on the crease uh, what year was that? I can't remember if it was 07 or 09. Yeah, uh, I might have been the year after I left. The big win we had when I was at Drexel was we beat Virginia the year after they were they went undefeated in uh, – what was that? That was 2006. No, that was 2008, I think, right? Or 2007? Yeah. 2007? 
2006, they, they were undefeated. 07, you beat them. Yeah, we beat I them. Remember that. You guys always open with them. They always open yeah, with you, right? They yeah. did, and they 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 uh they kicked our butt for a couple of years, and then and then I remember we beat them down at their place on that uh, on the astroturf, the field hockey field. We uh, like oh, yeah. uh, like two seconds left in the game. We had our freshman faceoff guy pop it forward. They didn't stop the break, and uh, Zach Fisher was our faceoff guy. He hit Colin Ambler on a point, and uh, for the game winner, it was ridiculous. The game tire was on. It was uh, was a pairs look. We yeah, we we called a timeout with like. We called a timeout with like 15 seconds left or something, and and uh, we ran our, our lefty Canadian off one of the one, off a pick, and uh, Virginia didn't play right. And we scored in like seven seconds with like I don't know what or yeah, and there was like 10 seconds left, and we we won the faceoff and popped it forward and scored with like two seconds left. It was a crazy game. Was that back when you had uh, Church and McIntosh on the roster? Um, before before those guys, before those oh, guys, Andrew cool. Chat, Andrew Chapman was the uh, was the lefty attack when we had from uh, transfer from Mars Hill. Oh yeah. Yeah, he was a Toronto Beaches guy, junior B uh, Canadian kid. Um, he was a lefty. The early days of Canadian recruiting. Oh my God! Yeah, in Division Division Two, I remember Coach Bates was like, he's like, yeah, he's like, I got this Canadian. He scored like 50, 60 goals last year in Mars Hill. He's like, there's something to be said for that. Yeah, it's like yeah. so funny. It's pretty funny. People don't know that like that's kind of how reclassing happened too. Because I remember. You know, talking to Canadians, I'd be like, so what year are you? And he, they basically be like, well, what year do you want me to be? Jeff Snyder ended up being a 22-year-old freshman. Yeah, right, right, right. Gap, couple gap years. Yeah, that was before early recruiting, like, basically, you know. I mean, that was back when Junior A lacrosse still had tons of kids that were not committed. And so you could pick a kid up when he was 20 or 21. Usually they were, you know, like in Snyder's case, he was, he was chasing a hockey dream and then kind of realized that, you know, it wasn't going to work out, so. Yeah, right, right, right. Career, yeah, yeah. But yeah. how did you end up moving over to uh, play uh, coach with your uh, old teammate, Nick Myers at Ohio State? Um, yeah, so we were in uh, Philly, or I was in Philly, obviously, at Drexel, and then uh, got married in the summer of 08. And then um, got a call from Nick um, that summer when he got the job. And I remember the conversation with my wife. I, I called her right after I got off the phone with Nick, and I was like, yeah, I just got off the phone with Nick. And wants me to come out and check things out at Ohio State. And the first thing out of our mouth was, let's do it. And said, okay, all right, well, let's, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, not, expect, not expecting that, like her to be like, hey, let's move across the country, you know. And uh, um, that, was, uh, that was a really, really cool experience for me. Um, and it was one of those things where, you know, Coach Bates wasn't happy about it at the time because him and I had just started to – we had won the league the two years before that. Um, it's 07, 08, or uh, 06, 07 at uh, – or 0708 Drexel and then uh so we were getting finding a little bit of a groove there and then um but uh it was an opportunity I felt like I I had to take you know professionally and, and personally just uh to to kind of learn more about myself and yeah. um uh, and that's exactly what I did when I was out there it was uh you know because because uh Nick was young obviously he was a first time head coach and he yep. was figuring out how to build a program and and, and a culture and, and start it all up and I was kind of in the same boat and um, it was, uh, yeah, was out there for four years. I coached defense all four years when I was out there. It's awesome. Yeah. And Nick is, uh, man, he's about as buttoned up and thoughtful about the sport of lacrosse as anybody I've ever met. Um, what no, were some no. of the things you, you learned from Nick? Yeah. Um, exactly that, to be honest with you, like his, uh, his thought process behind every decision he would make lacrosse wise was very thought out. And, um, I remember having, 
conversations and uh, that sometimes turned into arguments about what we should do and how we should do it and that kind of thing. And um, he's, he's, uh, he watched a ton of film. I remember being like, wow, I need to, I, I remember watching more film when I got out to Ohio State than I ever had before, just because, you know, that was kind of one of his things that he studied the game so much. And, and I, I learned a lot about that and how to, um, um, dissect the game and, and make decisions based on, you know, what your team was capable of and what your opponent was doing or not doing and that kind of thing. And um, so, yeah, thoughtful is a great, uh, great uh, verb for, for, for Nick. I think he, he, he definitely thinks the game um, a ton and, and has a very incredible, incredible mind for, for coaching it and then in, in implementing, you know, his thoughts. Yeah. Unbelievably organized. I, I did visit them last year and it was just, amazing to watch just how everything is orchestrated even just running a practice they have a meeting with strength coach and facilities and all the assistants and the trainers and just yep. making sure you know it's it's pretty uh yeah pretty, yeah pretty amazing it is buttoned up and um and they've got you know incredible resources out there to do yeah. some there which is cool it's right awesome. and, but like leveraging those resources takes yeah. an incredible amount of effort work thought you know organization i mean actually it's pretty it's pretty impressive Pretty big difference, you know, between schools that have that and don't, you know, how, of how much actually you have to do just to use your resources and technology and personnel and stuff like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so, so then you, you ended up, if I recall, you were, you were going to get out of coaching. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, in like 20, what, 2013 or something like that, that? was 20. Yeah, no, that was 20, yeah, 2012. So I did four years out at Ohio, uh, yeah, Ohio State, 09, 10, 11, 12, and then um, started a family out at, uh, in Columbus at Ohio State and, and just got to a point where I just wasn't sure if I wanted to coach anymore. I, was, I, I didn't, re didn't know if I was tired um, and, and a little burnt out, I think, um, just from doing it and, and moving yeah. across the country and that kind of thing. And, and just wasn't sure if, coach, if I wanted coaching, wanted to coach anymore and kind of just needed some time off. So, and it was kind of like a critical age – you know, you were at a critical age to figure that out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's, it's one of those, you know, a lot of guys in our profession, you know, get out at that kind of time, whether they're trying to figure out whether they want to still be, you know, an assistant and they haven't become a head coach yet to kind of have that stimulation of, of that task. And, and um, you know, so I was, I was at a crossroads and, uh, you know, talked with a lot of important people in my life, obviously my wife and, and uh, my family and, and, um, um, you know, got a, got, got a call from coach Shea, like probably three weeks, a month after I'd kind of gotten out of Ohio state and didn't know what I wanted to do. And I'd gotten some other calls from some other coaches as well to see what I was doing. And, and, uh, I still wasn't sure. And he was just like, eh, come out and take a look. He's like, no pressure, you know, cause I had known Andy for a long time. Um, back when I was at Springfield, he was at UMass at the time. Oh yeah. So Back when I was still playing, I had, I had known him. Um, and so uh, he was like, yeah, just come check it out. And I was like, okay. And uh, just went out there and, and uh, came to the realization that, that I definitely needed lacrosse and coaching in my life still. Um, and uh, again, another glad that I did and came back to that realization, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh it was, uh, ended up obviously being an incredible experience at Yale. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, you were there for, I mean, Andy was building all along. I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast. I mean, 
you know, Andy has established himself as one of the finest coaches in the game, you know, but he, he like anybody else, uh, had a process and uh, it wasn't that easy at Yale. And I know because I coached for eight years. Admissions yeah, right. wise, it can absolutely be insanely challenging. There were times when we would get two, you know, yeah. two recruits in, in a class, you know. Um, and, yet, and so he struggled in his first five years. I think he might have been like, I don't know, five and 25 in the Ivy League in his first five or six years. But, but just kept building, finally cracked it. And right around when you got there was when things were on a major sort of upswing and you got a chance to build on that and ride that wave all at the same time. Yeah, exactly. I got lucky. The year, the year before I got there, they had, they had won the league and then they, they, they made it to the to, to tournament. The first time they made it to the tournament was uh, the year before I got there, 2012. Mm-hmm. So 2013, we had a pretty good team coming back. Um, and that was a, actually a, a very cool uh, experience for me as a, like an assistant going into a program that had just made the NCAA tournament. And I was like, well, I don't want to screw this thing up, you know, like we have some guys coming back. And so, and, 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 and Andy was kind of like, yeah, he's like, you know, you can, you can do whatever you want. Cause he had a lot of, he put, you know, he trusted me. And I was like, well, listen, I don't want to like, you know, change everything you guys have been doing not defensively or, or anything, because obviously what you're doing is working. So it was, it was cool for me to kind of take what they had there and implement some of my own stuff that I had some success with that I liked and I was comfortable with and, and, and working into their system and then kind of developed from there, you know? Um, so that was cool. And I remember having those conversations with the, the senior, they had, they had uh, two seniors at the time, Mike McCormick and Peter Johnson, who were, were like four year players at Yale, all American players um, and having conversations with them like, Hey, you know, tell me some things you guys are, you know, you, you definitely don't want to take out of the defense and so tell me some of the things, you know, you, you're comfortable with maybe changing and, um, and then watching film with them in terms of like adjusting the scheme to our strengths and weaknesses and that kind of thing. And that was a really cool experience, um, especially yeah. as a coach, just like, you know, develop that, you know, um, and uh, well, yeah, how, I mean, how would you characterize? I mean, Andy's got to be one of your biggest, you know, one of the guys you've learned most from. How do you how do you describe Andy Shea? And, and how, you know, what's the big picture, fifty thousand foot reason for why he's been able to be successful and sustain it? Uh, you know, I think it's he really just does a great job with 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 the team culture, and but it starts on the individual basis, just like talking to the guys and and. and having realistic expectations for each player on the team um, and developing them into, into, you know, it sounds cliche, but develop them, developing them into men um, through kind of, you know, the decisions they make and, 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 and guiding them into maybe making a better decision the next time and that kind of thing. And I think I've said this a few times, but the biggest thing I've learned, I learned when I was at Yale from Andy was that less is more. So like anytime it would be like, Hey, I think we need to do this. He'd be like, ah, let's think twice about it, you know, like, like we don't need another defense or we don't need another ride or we don't need another, whatever it is, you know, another drill for this. It's like, let's just work. Let's just make this drill, you know, better or, or tweak this drill so that it makes sense for the guys. And it was all about like building um, kind of off of that simplicity, you know, um, in terms of lacrosse piece, but, but the, the uh, on a personal level with the team and the culture, it was, it was all about, um, that development that I talked about in terms of, of making guys um, think and, and critically about themselves and the decisions that they were making that would benefit the, the team overall, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of, that He's was a smart guy. I mean, Andy always is like, dude, I got the coolest thing on shooting and, but don't tell anybody. 
or he'll be like, <laughs> he's, he's always like literally got like the yeah. best idea. Um, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty awesome. Actually. No, he, does, he does, he does have great ideas and then it's like, it, it, it uh, he'll go off on it and then he'll come back to the realization. Like sometimes like he'll be like, Oh, well, this is a great idea. And then, and then it'll be like, well, I thought less was more coach. You'd be like, Oh, you're right. You're right. right. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's pretty remarkable. I went to a practice up at Yale this past fall and you know, I hadn't been in a long time, but uh, just the, the, the way that the players hold each other account accountable totally. is incredibly impressive, noticeable, um, probably the most impressive thing that you could that you could see at a practice because yeah, yeah. Andy and you know he would he would blow the whistle for you know the next rep or the next drill and come on let's go but at the end of the day it was the players that were holding each other accountable for whatever the terms of the drill or the, or whatever it was and it's yeah, right. amazing right um, totally and I think that goes back to my point about like the the, the standards for like the team where you know it was. Like the guys knew when we did a certain drill, like these were the expectations, these are the standards, and it just became contagious and infectious. And the guys, like, you know, it, it meant something to kind of make your make, even make it through a practice at Yale. Like, as one of the guys, like, you'd be like, wow, like that was sick. Like, you know, and I think everybody like, says the same thing. Yeah. Getting to that point of like, and then, and then graduating as a Yale lacrosse player, like, it meant something significant, you know, and that's something I'm trying to build here at Fairfield, too. Right have that you know when you graduate from this program it, it, it it's like a badge of honor you know like it's yeah. you went through you know you walk through I, I i made this analogy of practice in the fall i said we want to walk through a, you know a thousand miles of absolute the worst stuff we can walk through so that when we get to game day it feels like a warm bath you know right <laughs> and so like i feel like that's kind of what you want in a program is you want guys to feel like they earned you know their, their, their stripes and they earned the, you know, the, 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 the Jersey and being able to wear it and it meant something to them. So. The Philocrosophy podcast is made possible in part by the JM3 video assessment tool. There's no question that video is critical to player development. One way or another, your son or daughter must utilize video to learn their game and the game to learn more, see video testimonials or register Go to www.jm3sports.com forward slash video right now. Yeah, well, let's switch gears right into that. I mean, you are a first-year head coach. You're trying to build a program and build a culture. Um, and I'd really like to start there. What, what are you, how are you building this culture? Who do you want to be and in, in stuff? I know you just kind of started talking about it. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. We, we One of the big things um, we talked about as a staff this fall was like, worrying about or at least I would tell my staff like I'm going to be worrying about more of the how than I am the what you guys need to kind of focus on the what so that I can worry about the how you know and so we what do you mean by that so in terms of like how we practice how we lift um we're trying to build very similar to what we we had going to Yale and, and Andy build the Yale was was the, the the like I was just talking about like I wanted to feel like it means something if you get through a practice at Fairfield you know so it's like well how hard is it you know, we don't want to waste time doing conditioning, but at the same time, we want to have practice run so fast that the guys feel like they got an incredible workout in and, and they ran from drill to drill and they were moving together. And at the end of the practice, they were like, holy cow, we just got better, you know, but they're not sitting there counting their reps in the shooting drills because it's going so slow. It's like, all right, I just, I just, at the end of practice, I want them to realize, holy cow, I got a ton of shooting reps. I got a ton of transition reps. I got a ton of defensive footwork reps. And 
you know, an hour and a half, two hours later, like practice is over. It's like, holy cow. Um, and I think so we did a lot of, of, um, you know, focusing on, on what practice looks like from how we get out, you know, how we, we, we literally, how we literally run onto the practice field, um, and what that looks like and, and how it should feel and, and talk to the guys about when it was good and when it was bad. Like, Hey, there was great energy coming on the field today. Like it should mean something to, to step on the field. Um, you know, at Fairfield University as a Fairfield lacrosse player here. Like it's got to mean something when you step on the field. So we talked to some about that. And then from there, it was like, all right, well, here's how practice, we want practice to look. It's, guys are going to be running the entire time from drill to drill. You know, at times we put, and I got this from Andy, like we would put a, and you probably saw this at the practice you were at, we would put a, a clock um, or I'd count down from 10 in between drills to be like, all right, hey, we got whatever drill it is, you got 10 seconds to get there, you know? And we would, we would draw it up before practice on the whiteboard ask questions to make sure guys knew where they were going. And then the expectation was that they were going to get there as fast as they could. And that the drill was going to start in 10 seconds. So the only times we ran this fall were uh, when the guys at practice couldn't get to the drill in time, or it didn't look like we wanted it to in the 10 seconds or 20 seconds or whatever it was we gave them, you know? And so honestly, the how you talk about yeah. the what versus the how. Yeah. Yeah. And what you just sort of described for any coaches that are listening. I mean, would you recommend the concept of, how quickly you can mobilize your troops is pretty much telling the story of what kind of a coach you are. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that was probably one of the, one of the most, one of the biggest priorities I had going into the fall. Yeah. You know, no and doubt. You, you watch any, any program. That's the way, you know, that's really well coached and organized. That's the way it is. And you know, you just can't, you don't have time to talk and explain and let people figure it out and walk. I mean, it's like oh. literally because, and it also, it's a, it's a matter of processing for the athletes too. I mean, they have to be able to switch gears to new situations and know the details immediately. Correct. hundred percent. hundred percent. And I think, you know, uh, someone said this the other day or I was listening to something and, 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 and I told my assistants this, I said, uh, you know, that's why we film practice too. I said, if you want, you know, you can worry about the what more so in the film, like bring a guy in and tell right. him you know, what he's doing here on this shot or how you want him to do this. But at practice, I'm like, practice is we're out there and we're getting the reps and, you know, there might not be the quality of the reps might suffer a little bit, yeah. but at the same time, the next practice is going to be better because you're going to watch it with the, you're going to watch the what with the kid on the film and yeah. he's going to be better at that the next practice when he's going a thousand miles per hour. But right. And actually isn't a, isn't like in some ways you could, you could argue that it, a rep that might suffer because they're not doing something correctly is just a part of the process anyways. And you're better off letting them make mistakes and, 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 and get through that rep rather than stopping it and 100%. correcting it. hundred percent. I agree. Yes, exactly. And it's like, that is part of it. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like when you're teaching your kids how to like, you know, tie their shoe or something, it's like, you gotta, you gotta let them make a mistake every once in a while, you know, they gotta figure it out. Yeah. Exactly. So the form is a little off. It's okay for a couple reps of practice, you know? Yeah. And you watch the film and you make it better and you make adjustments. And then the next time you hope that it's a little bit better. But yeah, the how in terms of how fast they're doing it, how many reps they're getting and, 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 and the aggressiveness they're doing it with is, is, is more important. I feel like. No doubt. And it's, um, you know, changing a culture, you know, regardless of what culture you, you pick up. Uh, building a culture is something that is uh, it's really challenging. It's because it's hard for players. It's hard for anybody to change, you know, like when they, when they get to a new, you know, if you have a new boss, you know, you get a new job. I mean, there's just like, it's, it's just natural human nature that it's not easy. Um, and so how are you managing through that 
uh, as part of the challenge. So I've been working with this guy, uh, Brian Kane, Jamie, who we worked with when I was at Yale, uh-huh. who is a uh, peak performance coach. Um, and he's helping me formulate my, uh, my philosophy as a, as a coach um, and, and, and then, and then um, kind of integrating that into a team culture. So going back Very to what cool. we were talking about earlier, like, you know, I want guys that come through this program to have Fairfield lacrosse mean something when they graduate in four years, like I was saying before. So it's like, all right, well, how are we going to establish that? You know what I mean? Um, so I think setting your, you know, your mission, your vision, your core principles, and then your mindsets for each year um, is how you're going to do that. And then, and then, and then hammering those home with the guys through, um, you know, we've been doing uh, a mental conditioning course with, with, um, with, with coach Kane um, through this fall that that's been, that's been very helpful in terms of, of teaching the mental side of things um, that I think is a little underrated that, that, that I learned at Yale where it's like, it's almost just as important as the physical component, you know, the mental conditioning piece, um, how mentally tough you can be and, and, and how resilient you can be in, in times of adversity. So um, we've been focused a lot on that, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. It's part of our culture, you know, we need to be mentally tough in order to become a Fairfield lacrosse player. Like that's just going to be part of it. So um, I think that's been, that, that's been an emphasis for us in terms of, you know, along with the, how we're practicing, you know, how we're training our mental conditioning and how we're becoming a quote unquote, tougher player student, you know? Um, so it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Two of the things yeah. we, we came, we, we've come up with and, and we've talked a lot about our um, selfless commitment and relentless effort are two of our, uh, our core principles that we're trying to hang our hat on. And that, you know, they sound, they sound cliche, but I think it's, they're all about what you make of them within your program. You know what I mean? Like if you talk about those things in specific areas that, that relate to how you're practicing, how you're lifting, how you're um, studying, like those are two things that we're, we've been focused on a lot. So. I think yeah. that's to your, to your original question. I think like that's how I've been trying to develop the culture. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real plan and it's a real commitment to it. And, and, and we haven't really talked about it. We're going to talk about it a little bit later, but obviously recruiting is just going to be a huge part of your culture. Totally. Because, you know, getting people to kind of know what they're, what they're in store for. This is going to be, this is going to be the greatest thing you ever did, but it's going to be really hard. Correct. Exactly. It's exactly, and that's that was that was Coach Shea's spiel every time at Yale, and that's what I've been telling these kids now, and that's that's been my only sell is 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 just that to be honest with you, with these kids that are you know we're, the recruits we're getting and we're we're focused on, and that's been my sell. It's like, hey, like you know, I got nothing to sell you in terms of the win losses yet because you know I'm still undefeated, but um, <laughs> the uh, you know if you wanna if you wanna if you wanna come to a place where you know I'm gonna hopefully develop you into a man and and you know you're gonna be committed feel like you're committed to something you know outside of yourself um and and you're gonna do it with a, a crazy amount of effort then let's go <laughs> last question on culture how do you balance the less is more concept with trying to build toughness and mental toughness because that's tricky totally totally and I think it's I think it's um one of those things where it's like just keep it simple yeah. you know like don't try don't overcomplicate it you know, and I think that that applies to the less is more. It's like don't go fifty mile runs or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that and I think just not trying to throw too much at them. Like having a having a focus in terms of, like I said, those two core principles. And obviously, those are those are broad. But it's like, you know, 
not trying to um, do too much and just just kind of one thing at a time, I guess, maybe, um, in yeah. terms of less is more. It's like, all right, well, right. we got we to gotta learn how to practice. We got to learn how to lift um, with those, with, with effort, with, with commitment, you know, and then, and then kind of go from there. And it's like, um, I think that's kind of the way you can balance things with the, with that, you know? Sure. Well, and also like, there's like a, there's this amazing, uh, ability that some people have that you need to develop yourself as the head coach, which is, can you also, you know, keep it light, have fun, you know, oh. be, be just kind of normal while you're just trying to grind. And that's like, that's a really difficult balance. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's, that's the first thing I told the, the, the guys in the first team meeting when I was a first, I said, this is going to be really hard, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. We're going to have a blast. We're going to have, you know, you guys are going to feel great about what you're doing and it's going to be fun, but it's going to be hard as heck. So you ever sat next to Andy Shea and Greg Carroll when they're on the recruiting trail? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, you know what I mean? They're just like literally like la Andy is giggling the entire time because Carol uh, yeah. making you know, Dave caught a limitation. Stomach hurts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, so how are you guys going to play? What's your, what's your sort of, uh, you know, vision? You know, I know it probably aligns with what you think you have, but you totally. probably also are trying to balance this. What do we have and who do we want to be? Totally. Yeah. So we, uh, a couple things with that. Um, I think I want to build on what the success we had at Yale in terms of, uh, being pretty fluid defense to offense and playing two ways um, in, in playing kind of as fast as we can going back to how we're doing things. Like we want to do things really fast in terms of like the tempo of our, how, how fast our defense feels, how fast our offense feels. And then the in-betweens, right? So um, we're trying to practice like that one. And then um, two, I was looking at our league and being like, well, I know predominantly it's been a six on six league, like, that's what they're known for. Like, hey, we're going to get you in a six-on-six six set. You know, Towson, UMass, Delaware, these teams are big, strong athletes. They're going to beat you up in the six-on-six. Six. It's like, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure, like, I want to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with those guys. So, I was like, well, let's try and maybe create a niche in our league where we can play a little faster and try and get up and down and play some two-way guys. The question became, all right, well, do we have that personnel-wise? To your question, you know, it's like, okay, yeah. let's let's take a look at it. And I think throughout the fall, we, we – we went in with that mindset knowing that that's how we wanted to do it. And I think we were pleasantly surprised at the, um, the athletes that we have in the program here and the guy's willingness to kind of play like that. Um, yeah. they were, you know, you know it, I shouldn't say willingness. They were, they were actually psyched, you know, it's, it's yeah. fun to that place sure. transition, play fast. So you're uh, playing two way middies. We're playing two way middies. Yeah. So we got, we basically ran, you know, three and a half lines of middies this fall. Um, we had a couple guys that were playing in the midi role, which is similar to what we had at Yale. You have those guys, you know, we had like Tyler Warner. Tyler Warner was playing an offense at Yale. You know, you got a guy right. like that, a couple guys like that that play just play defense and take face in there every time you can, right? Yeah, yeah. Do all the do all the little things, you know, score a goal here and there. Um, so we got a couple of those guys, but you know, predominantly we're playing two way middies, um, guys that are getting up and down. Um, and we were psyched um, with kind of the how the cupboard was stocked for that here. To be honest with you, we had some guys I think, you know, and that hadn't been doing that, but they're definitely capable, uh, which we're psyched. And then we've been obviously recruiting to that as well, trying to get guys that, that play a little bit of both and are, are, uh, aren't afraid to, to start on the defensive end and get up the field. So, so, so many, I mean, I hear everybody say like, we're going to play two way middies. We're going to play two way middies. And then we yeah. push pumps to the shot. They're like, screw it. Put the defensive guys in, you know, um, 
how, to what degree do you think you can stick with it? And how much were you guys really able to do that, you know, in the past? Yeah. Um, I think it's, it, it comes down to like just having conversations with the guys that are doing it, you know, and saying like, Hey, like, here's your role, you know, and defining those roles. Like, Hey, you're a two way guy. So the guys we had in the past, like, you know, Johnny Dandajellis and Jason Alessi and, um, uh, a lot of these guys, like uh, Brendan Mackey, these guys that we had at Yale that, that played, you know, up and down. It was like, hey, you're gonna, you're gonna either, if you take the faceoff wing, you're either gonna play offense or you're gonna play defense, um, and that's kind of your two shifts. Um, or you're gonna, hey, you're, we're gonna, we're gonna start you on defense for this this run, and then you're gonna go in and play. Your line is gonna come on an offense. Um, or, you know, what you end up having to do sometimes is kind of having to your your lines do get uh, a little uh, messed up if you want to play that way, right? Because a guy might start defense here might have a short shift on defense but his line might not be up but you want him to stay because he's got the good matchup so then you bring two guys that might be not on his line in to play offense with him kind yeah. of thing so it's 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 kind of a you gotta you gotta teach it um yeah. you can't say hey we're gonna play two ways right um, just, but, yeah. but I think in the fall the thing we found the most success with is if you just say hey we're not subbing in the fall like we're not doing any of the substitution games in the fall and then early in the spring and you just say hey guys the expectation is that the middies, you're a mid. You're going to play defense. You're going to play offense. You're going to take face-off wings. You know, you may play man down. Like, and then you just – every guy just plays offense and defense. And then it's like, okay, hey, maybe I can play defense. Or maybe I'm not an O midi or I'm not a D midi. You know, it's like all of a sudden you got these guys that are just running up and down and making plays. Um, and I think yeah, – it will, it will evolve, won't it? Yeah, and that's how it evolves. And that's how you – I think, you, you know, you start, you start with the mentality of it all, saying, hey, like, the mentality is we're two-way middies. Every guy on this team is a two-way midi. You can play offense, you can play defense, and then you go from there. Yeah, interesting. And um, how much is riding? You know, I mean, I know that you guys at Yale had a heck of a 10-man ride, and one of the yep. advantages of playing two-way guys is you can yeah. do that. I'm sure it's got to be a part of the equation. Yeah, definitely, definitely. We haven't got too far into that this fall, but we will uh, We'll get there for sure. I'd love to incorporate some 10-man into what we're doing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, awesome, especially with the new rules and the 20-second clearing clock. I mean, you know, it it's like it's yeah. a lot harder to clear with 20 than it was with 30. It is. It is. That was that was probably the biggest adjustment we made at Yale, or we felt like with the rules was the twenty second clearing. We were like, this is uh, this is tight. Um, so we changed the way we cleared a little bit. But yeah, I mean, I think um, there's definitely opportunities to ride, and I think that again, that's just a mentality to me. It's like, sure. okay, like we're we're a, we're a two way riding team, so get used to it. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Um, talk a little bit about your um, defensive philosophy. Sure. Um, it's funny, like a lot of people are like, well, you know, or they're like, how do you, how do you get out and pressure? And I'm like, well, it's not really pressure defense necessarily. It's more of like, uh, one of the things we, we, we harp on is, uh, finishing. We call it finishing. It's like finishing plays. So it's finishing a ground ball. It's finishing a closeout on a shot or a, or a defensive approach. Um, it's finishing your clear. If it's at that point, at that stage of the defense, you know, so I think like um, having guys with that mentality to, that they need to, as a defenseman and on the defensive side of the ball, like you can accomplish a lot through just effort and work and outworking the offense. If that makes sense. Yeah. So like if you're, if like the attackmen and those the offensive guys, they don't like when someone's in their gloves. You know what I mean? Like they don't like that on the perimeter. And so I think like as many times as we can finish our checks, finish our plays, finish our ground balls, go through things. Um, the better off we're going to be. So that's kind of where I start, you know, is being with the, with the work ethic mentality and, and kind of being able to outwork um, or feel like we can outwork any offense. Um, yeah, well, especially like if your man makes a pass, 
you totally. have an opportunity to outwork everybody and get in. Hundred percent. You know, with with more time to be able to communicate and and process what's about to happen next. Hundred percent, exactly. So we work on a lot of going from we call it going from on ball to off ball, like you're saying, mm-hmm. from from off ball to on ball. So it's like the you know, either you had just played the ball and you got to get back in and be a help defender, or you you know were a help defender and now you got to get out and play the ball. So it's like those those um, those transitions, if you will, from on ball to off ball, and off ball on ball are are huge in kind of I think any defense, but especially the way that we want to play defensively. Um, and being getting out and making guys uncomfortable, you know. So um, we do a ton of drills with those, with that, um, and incorporating that into what we do. Um, and then I think that the, the second thing, so it's finishing, and then and then another thing we, we we harp on a lot is just efficiency in terms of you know not only which makes it hard because you're trying to outwork people and you're trying to play faster than them, but it's now how you can do that most efficiently, I guess, right? So it's like how you. Um, pivot after you've been on the ball going from off ball like you know a lot of guys may turn the wrong way or their footwork might be the wrong way so it's like those little nuances within the defense of of how your um feet are moving and which way they're opening up you know if that makes sense yeah yeah i mean and, and not rounding out a, a, a you know coming back in right you know right. Right yeah, all those and go straight in you know at the right angle with your leading stick leading the way all that. exactly 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 not trying to get turned around or finding the most efficient way to recover. Like you said, are you sprinting back into the crease and then you're bumping that guy back out or are you recovering, you know, just one pass away and finding those different ways to be as most efficient as we can. So trying not to have overlap within our defense as well, you know, where guys are, are, are overlapping and, and um, playing the same guy, if you will, you know, mm-hmm. so like trying to create that like perimeter of our defense. Mm-hmm. And so I think finishing and, and, and kind of, playing with efficiency are obviously two of the two of the bigger things um that that play into what we want to do um and then obviously just just playing together you know I think like that's you know what everyone wants to do on defense but I think we try to do it better than others in terms of the way we communicate and how we communicate and practicing communication and all that stuff do you practice your communication more in scripted situations um or would you say it's more fluid where they have to like, you know, actually process what's happening around them so that they can. A know. little, a little bit of both. I think, you know, I think like we'll, we'll script it for them to start. Um, yeah. and say, here's this, here's the situation. Here's the scenario. Here's how we want to be most efficient. So let's practice that and, and, and rep that out till it feels like Novocaine. Yep. And then it's like, all right, now, like don't tell them what's coming and then see how they react. And then teach them, hey, that, that wasn't the most efficient way. Here's a little bit better way we could do it. Or here's how we want – ideally, we want to do it. And then and then the beauty about defense, which I love, is that there's imperfections. You know, like yeah. it's never perfect, right? So it's, that's why I told the guys. I said, yeah. I guess, I guess what? The beauty of defense is it's imperfect. So we got to be able to make up for it with our effort and and, and, and our, our, our posture and our – the way we, you know, the way we play and, and how fast we want to play. So it's like, if you, if you do mess something up, it doesn't matter because you're going to make up for it in the way that you're hustling after the next play, you know? Yeah. yeah. One of the yeah. reasons I was asking about that was because I, I do remember being at a fall ball practice of your guys, probably, mm-hmm. I don't know, probably 20, 2013, 2012. Yeah. I remember. One of your early years. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. But you guys were, I remember, and I know Andy's done this a lot, but you guys do play a fair amount of small sided, you know, games kind of yeah. like with a West Jenny concept but but all even also with two oh. goals and back-to-back goals and yeah, yeah. different scenarios yep. and I've been really um interested lately in in trying to let players 
develop themselves through less structure because I feel like if they can't read it and say it and do it and recognize it on their own, it doesn't really matter if they can do it in a scripted drill because it doesn't translate as well as when they can actually do it. So no. are you guys doing a fair amount of that as well? Yeah, totally. And I think that's like the second phase of it, right? You teach them like the, the scripted part of it and then you just throw it at them and see how they react. And, you know, and that's kind of where film comes into play a lot too, where it's like, Hey, like, you know, this, you know, tell me about your decision here. Like why, you know, why did you make that decision versus this one? To your point, I think, you know, and then it's like teaching them, Hey, this was, this might've been, this was a great decision or Hey, might this might've been a better decision, you know? Yeah. Do you have some, um, some, uh, interesting sort of, uh, rules, um, or constraints in your putting on, you know, to get certain results like, uh, I don't know. It's a four on four short field game. You have to set picks and double teams are worth two points or something. Are you doing various things sort of like that? Yeah. I mean, we've done some stuff like that in the past. Yeah. We've always done. And that was something I got from, uh, from coach Nagel actually we used to call them parameter scrimmages. Yeah. Right. We've incorporated that into some drill work too. Like you're saying. Yeah. So like, yeah, we'll do that. Like, Hey, if we get a double team on defense, it's worth a point just as a goal, you know, like, yeah, like yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So hundred percent. Yeah. I've been thinking lately about it of trying to figure out a way of using a shot clock and then having uh, a goal worth more at the end of a shot clock and less at the beginning of a shot clock to encourage pressure and to, to basically allow, you know, the offense to have to deal with the fact that they're going to get pressured a little bit more and the defense to be able to be encouraged to, to pressure a little bit. Yeah, 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 right, right, right. So it's be like a, um, that would be a uh, defense for, so defensive pressure and then the offense has to deal with it. And yeah, like maybe it's a five on five with a 30 second shot clock and like, right, you right. know, a goal in the first 15 or 20 seconds is worth less than in the last 10 seconds or something. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we haven't got, we don't, we don't do that as much. I don't think we put as many parameters necessarily on the drill work as we do when we get to the scrimmages, I guess. Right, right. Um, but it's definitely, definitely something um, we could definitely incorporate, I think, probably more. Um, you know, I think that the, the drill work for us has been more of um, just hammering the fundamentals, you know, and yeah. not trying to, you know, um, and I told I had this conversation with my assistants in the beginning of the, uh, of the fall I said we need to be very clear in terms of the expectations for a drill because a lot of times I feel like you can get into a drill and it's like you know you have this grandeur of what it what you want it to look like and then all of a sudden you're trying to do like five things when all you really need to do you only you just need to get one thing done yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, totally. um, but I, I do like the idea of putting some parameters on some um, some drill work um, well, and when you talk about scrimmage, you know, a scrimmage could be a full field scrimmage. A scrimmage can be a short field five on five also. I mean, it can kind yeah, of be right, 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 right. Yeah, any, exactly. any sort of type of like, you know, parameters uh, to get some looks, but give kids options and let them think for themselves a little bit. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's, we do a lot of that with um, building the two-way system, you yeah. know, in terms of like, whether that's a 4v4 full field or, or three-quarter field or 5v5, like you're saying, full field almost drill, where you're like, Hey, you, you gotta, you got to make a decision here, whether you're, you know, you know, getting in the hole or coming off the pole or what you're doing, you know? Yeah, yeah, uh, totally. Exactly. And just that communication. Yeah. Um, how about uh, your offensive philosophy? How are you guys going to try to play offensively? So we're going to, we're going to run a lot of the um, early offensive stuff. Um, try to um, have some of it come through our attack and uh, feel like we can get an advantage with our two-way middies as well. So we're going to do yeah. that. Some of the similar stuff we've been doing at, at Yale and then, 
I think um, once we get a little bit more settled, it'll be very simple. I think we're going to try and let these guys play, to your point, um, and, and make decisions and teach teach the decision-making um, through the film and through kind of practice. So we put them in some basic sets um, in the fall and just kind of gave them a couple things to do. And then we're really encouraging just, you know, the, the, the hockey assists and the moving the ball as fast as we can and the unselfishness, to be honest with you, is what we're kind of we're going for philosophically. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think in the past they've been more of a set piece and scripted offense, which is given a lot of defenses fits. I know uh, when I was coaching against these guys when I was at Yale, you know, we lost them in 2014. They, they had great success with their offensive movement and their um, the, the way that they ran things. But I think it's – we're going to do it a little bit differently um, to your point about, you know, letting them make decisions on the fly and just keeping it super simple, to be honest with you. Are you going to run a similar offense to what you guys ran at Yale or different? different It'll be similar that? philosophically. I think uh, um, we're probably operating more out of a, I want to say a 22 than we did at Yale um, yep. here. We were more of the one four at Yale, um, right. which essentially they're kind of morph into each yeah. other, you know? Um, the same, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but real simple, <laughs> really simple. Just try to teach on selfishness and, and 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 reward those hockey assists and and you know ball movement type goals. How much two man? You think uh, what 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 sort of dose of uh, two man game would you say you'll you'll have? Well, we're definitely going to put some. Yeah, we'll probably get we 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 put in some from the wing this fall. We put in uh, some from behind as well. So we'll have a couple different sets. Um, we've got a couple dynamic players on attack. Um, you know that I think we can. They, we can teach them how to manipulate those picks, whether, you know, they want to use them or they want to, you know, ice them and come underneath or whatever, you know. So I think um, we're, we're going to get a little creative there for sure with the two-man stuff. That'll probably – that's our kind of our – that was our first wrinkle we put in this fall. And yeah. something we'll come off going into the spring for sure. Overall, yeah. what's your philosophy on why two-man game is effective and why you would do it as opposed to dodging and, and dumping and playing more traditionally? I think – you know, speaking defensively, I guess it, it puts pressure um, on that decision-making piece we've been, you know, talking a little, a lot about here. Uh, yeah. Enforcing the defense to have to make it make a decision of, all right, well, one, you know, where is the pick? Two, is it a pick or is it just the guy mirroring off? You know, and then and then three, you know, how does the 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 pick uh, affect? you know, what you're doing on the ball, you know, because, you know, you, you, you got to either step back and try and get through it. So your, your ball pressure can't be as heavy, you know, or you got to try and stay over it and keep your ball pressure. In which case, you know, you, now you're, you might or may not get picked off or, you know, now you're getting a matchup switch or whatever it might be. So I think it puts a, a different level of pressure on the defense that they, maybe they're not used to if they're just, you know, defending a motion offense, you know, that makes sense. For sure. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. I was just interested in hearing, but I knew you'd give it to me on the defensive uh, mindset. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What I was looking for. And, and also it, it, it opens up, you know, the other, the rest of the field a little bit, you know, now if you have to slide to it, totally got three guarding four instead of four guarding five. I mean, how huge is that? hundred percent. Yeah. And that was one of the things like defensively, we never wanted to get, you know, two guys in pick play caught outside the ball, like you're saying to have to send another guy to it. Like you should be able to defend that with your two guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Theoretically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I think, uh, 
it's one of those nuanced things, and I'm not probably great at it teaching it offensively yet. I think uh, Coach Gibson's uh, going to have some wrinkles for us offensively where the guys will be able to use them and manipulate them and, and get creative there. So, yeah, yeah, we're psyched. Awesome. Um, and then what about uh, player development? You know, I mean, obviously one of the biggest opportunities anybody has is to make your players better. And how are you guys doing that? Yeah, talk so a little bit about the culture piece, but how about like skill and IQ? Yeah, absolutely. We, um, so one of the things I'm trying to do is incorporate, um, the part of the Ivy league model was, was, uh, having less practices, right. And, and, um, you know, based on the academic restrictions. So 12 practices in the fall and don't get to get started until February 1st. Right. Exactly. So like, you know, we, we did some of that this fall. We think we had, we did 20 formal practices this fall. Um, and then, um, we did, let's see, what was it? It was about a four or five weeks of our, what we call individual period, which is what we call it in the Ivy League, where it's like you have, you know, um, here we have four hours a week in the Ivy League, you only have two hours a week where you can get small groups or you can have the whole offense out there for skill development or, or however you want to structure it, you can get creative with it, which is what we did. And, and so we spent a lot of time in terms of like, we would plan like a week ahead or, right, Hey, we're going to do, you know, two days of, um, of uh, small group instruction. So we're going to have the whole offense out there, but we're going to split them up into two groups. And then from two groups from there, we're going to have them split them into two groups. So we had four groups of offensive guys going maybe at once, or we had two groups of offensive guys going at once of like six to eight guys, let's just say, right? So it was, um, and then we, we split up our coaching staff. So we had two guys coaching offense and two guys coaching defense within those small groups. And then we kind of did like station work, you know, we did like, um, hey, like I had a station where I'm just doing, you know, I was working offensively a little bit this fall, which was fun for me where I'm doing, you know, Coach Gibson would tell me, give me a drill to do. I'd be like, hey, can you run this drill? And I'd run the drill, whether it was working on shooting or dodging or some sort of stick work while well, he had a group on the wall, you know. Um, and so we invested a lot into our fundamental skill development um, at the end of this fall. Yep. Um, we're going to have a segment um, when the guys come back in a couple of weeks in January, where we're doing the same thing, similar to what we did in the Ivy league where it's like, cause you couldn't practice till February one. We're, pra we're starting practicing January 25th. So we're going to have 10 days of individual, an individual period before we get going with our formal practices in January, where we can, you know, get the guys dust off the sticks. We can hit the wall. We're going to do some um, uh, small group stuff for a couple hours. We're going to incorporate some conditioning into that as well. Physical conditioning. Um, and so I think um, really focusing in on the fundamentals and, 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 and making the guys think about their reps, you know, so. How are you, how do you, uh, how are you teaching dodging and what's the philosophy on that? So uh, a couple more things are um, really squaring up the guys. So um, we've got, let me see here. I can tell you our, um, some of our skill cues to be honest with you. Um, yes, uh, squaring up the guy. Um, Elevating, obviously, getting to getting yourself in a dodging position, you know, and then really squaring up the guy, and then the footwork associated with that, I think, is is something we're trying to think a lot about as well, um, in terms of of an inside plant versus an outside plant, and some of that some of that we did uh, actually this fall with our uh, strength guy. We had him do our um, inside plant versus outside plant. What does that mean? Right. So like a uh, so like on a split dodge, right? If you're going to right to left split, you're going to. Uh, outside plant on your right foot and splits your left, right? Yeah. Versus a maybe on a um, roll dodge, you might inside plant to roll, I guess. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know what I'm saying? So, so yeah. if, you, if I'm going right to left, 
on a roll dodge, I'm planting with my left foot in rolling versus planting on my right foot in splitting, splitting. Does that make sense? Yeah. So essentially it's the weight distribution of your second Correct. to last step, particularly in rollbacks. Exactly. And you really have to go hard. And if you're going right-handed and you're going to roll back to your left, you're not really planning your outside foot. You're planning your second to last step so you can explode off your outside foot. Correct. Correct. And so like, you know, if you look at like, um, um, Mark Millen was, was an inside plant guy too, like on his hockey, yeah. almost like a hockey style. Oh, yeah. That classic, um, yeah. that classic clip of him in the 1998 yes. world championship where he did a hockey stop hesitation right before he did his hockey exactly. stop. Exactly. 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 Um, so we've been, we've been trying to focus on, on, on some of the footwork and the specifics there. Uh, Have you ever thought about um, split dodging and um, cutting off your inside foot? Um, I remember Mikey Powell. I remember like back in the early 2000s when he was playing, he was a righty. And he had a devastating, you know, split dodge. And he would kind of run at you right-handed, angling left, right? Uh -huh, and uh -huh. that's how he would, like, want to come back to his right. But yeah, right, right, right. It almost right. looked like he wasn't planting his left foot all the time to make that cut to his right. But he was actually right. cutting off almost like a, punt, a kick returner where they almost changed their direction a little bit on their inside foot because it's incredibly – Well, it's, I think the uh, – as I'm listening to you talk, I think the swim move is that footwork, right, almost? Yeah, it can be. Yeah. Like, right. So if you're setting up a swim move, it would be like to go to go right. You're gonna plan off your right foot, right? To go right. To, to go right. So it'd be like a left a left-handed swim yeah. move. Yeah, 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 right. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I, I thought that maybe what you were talking about. But you're talking about the distinction between you know your your outside foot and your inside foot as it relates to different kinds of directional change. On yeah. a split, you're gonna you might actually land on two feet. You know how guys kind of jump stop and they sort of wait a little bit on their left but explode off their right. Maybe. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it took me a little while to explain that. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. No, everybody loves, like, uh, they're driving right now and thinking in their heads, what are these guys talking about? <laughs> um, what about shooting? I mean, um, shooting obviously is uh, one of the maybe the most important skill there is, right? I mean, how many games would you have won if you just would have finished the shots that you probably should have finished? And how are you guys um, going about that? So – We've adopted uh, a lot of the stuff I took from Coach Shea actually with his uh, power first mentality. Yeah. So you may have seen some of it at, at Yale practices, the ones you've been to, but he does like uh, this drill called like back of the nets where he just has the guy five yards from the, from the net or the back of the cage or like the, the bat, giant shooting nets on the fields. And they just scoop up a ball. They get their arms as far away from their body as they can in the proper position on the shaft and just work on their power and just torquing their, you know, their whole body through the shot, essentially, you know, with the push, pull, bottom hand, pulling, top hand, pushing, um, doing like five or 10 of those, you know, a day, just to, just to build the mentality and build the muscle memory of just that, you know, power first. Um, so we did, we did some of that this fall with our guys just to you say five or 10. So like, you're just doing five or 10 reps, five or 10 reps. Yes. Exactly. Yes. You're, yeah, Similar you're, to like any type of power exercise. You're not going to do a hundred of them. Totally. Right? Not doing a totally. hundred cleans. Right. Totally. Totally. And it's something you can, you can incorporate into your, you know, your small groups, uh, you know, sessions, your individual sessions. It takes, you know, 30 seconds as either a uh, uh, kind of a primer for shooting drills. You know, you just say, go do 10 back of the nets and you're just using power to, to, to throw that thing as hard as you can in the back of the net and just kind of get your muscles ready to go before you, you know, you're doing shots on the run or you're doing step downs or whatever it is. So you're kind of 
working on your fundamental form of it, taking a little bit of time with it and just developing that power first, you know, and not worrying about where it goes. Um, the, 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 the thing, the other thing we've done actually is coach Gibson is an incredible stringer. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most underrated things being taught and coached in our game at our level. Yeah. Um, and something we've, we've, we've done a lot the last couple of years has been really particular about, um, having defensive guys play with a certain pocket offensive guys, obviously there's a little bit more, I think, um, um, you get a little more room with, with kind of where your pocket is or how much, you know, whip you want to have. But I think teaching guys to shoot um, or work on their form with a stick that doesn't have a lot of whip so that they can really develop power without the stick helping them, if that makes yeah. sense. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, the best shooters are those usually that don't have a lot of whip and they, they can place it wherever they want. But they, if they can have the power, that's the hard part is to gain. You know, everybody feels like they need the power of the whip, but really it's the quick release and the accuracy along with this power first mentality that can give you a hard enough shot. Exactly. Exactly. So we've been, you know, um, helping guys with their sticks and how to, how, it, you know, have it properly throw and, and shoot and be able to develop power with maybe a little bit less whip than they're used to, or a little bit yeah. you know, lower pocket or more fluid pocket than they're used to. So um, that's something we've been, we've been working on a lot and, Coach so there's a low pocket, mid pocket, high pocket. It's like or? a mid mid pocket that's kind of fluid that just you know kind of just has a really smooth release. Yeah. Um, and then what you do is you can take that pocket and and tweak it to the guy. Hey, I need a little bit more here, a little bit less here, and and or maybe just a little bit. Some guys as they develop, like we had got a guy like Jack Ty we had at Yale last year who, you know, um, was able to play with a little bit more of a of a whip and a hold at the top of his pocket because he had great hands and he had great right. skills. You know, Some people like, that have unbelievable hands can get away with a huge whip and be accurate as heck with it. And so, most people can't. Correct. So, <laughs> yeah. So we, we've been, we've been working uh, a lot with our guys on that and, and, and what it looks like to be able to have proper technique with, you know, a, a, a stick that you can actually pass with as well. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's so many people that just don't realize the value of uh, accuracy and quick release over hold. Oh. You know. And one of the craziest stats, um, so I was talking to uh, Ronnie Caputo at Duke a couple years ago, um, and I was, we were talking, we were having the same similar conversation about, you know, stick work and stuff, and he was like, he was like, listen, like, if you stat a game, a typical offensive player will pass the ball 40 to 50 times and typically take four to five shots a game. So it's like, all right, well, what's more important? Right. Passing or shooting, you know, and so you, you, you propose your stat, that stat to your guys, and it's like, all right, hey, like, we need to be able to pass the ball first. So you can't have a crazy whip because you're throwing the ball on the ground. Like you can't, you can't step away from a double team because your stick won't allow you to, you know, because I think that's, like I said, I think that's one of the most underrated things and guys, you know, it takes a little time for them to understand that, but it's like, you can't shoot high to high ever because yeah, the goal is to catch it when you have a big whip and you go high to high. It goes into, you know, scouting, like I've been able to, I, I could tell you like scouting now watching guys play like, all right, Hey, we can double this guy because he's got a huge whip. Like he's not gonna be able to get the bottom stick. He can't escape a double team because his ball's gonna go right on the ground. Right. You know? Yeah. So um last topic. Um, I'd love for you to share your uh philosophies on recruiting. And you know, a lot of people that haven't seen Fairfield, I mean, I was telling you before, I I, I lived in Fairfield, I coached at Yale for eight years. Fairfield is a beautiful town. Um, it's a it's a distant suburb from New York, but it is still um, yeah, absolutely. sort of up the eastern side of uh, Fairfield County incredible you know it's got a beach 
It's got a marina uh, in town, but it's also really colonial. Um, and just a beautiful, it's a beautiful town to live in and it's a beautiful school. Um, so uh, I'm sure recruiting is a lot of fun when you get kids on campus. But what are your overall philosophies on it? Um, so, yeah, obviously the, the school recruits itself when we get when we get kids on campus that, like you yeah. said, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful place. People are always like, wow, you know, this place is incredible. I'm like, it is. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And they, they've done an, an incredible job over the past few years in terms of modernizing a lot of the buildings on campus. Um, you know, there's been a capital project uh, over the last like, five years every year. They're, they're putting in a brand new um, convocation center, replacing the old uh, basketball arena here on campus, Alumni Hall, with a new convocation center. It's going to be multi-purpose, but you know, the main purpose will be a basketball uh, arena, 3,500 seats, which is going to be incredible. Uh, but I think in terms of uh, the recruiting piece, like the, in terms of the, the the players that we want to bring into our program, we're looking for guys that are, you know, excited about those core principles we were talking about before, you know, like being committed to something outside of yourself and working really hard for that. Um, yeah. And it's like something like right now, my only sell is basically, you know, myself and my coaching staff is what I'm selling. Like, Hey, you know, you want to come here, you know, here's what you're going to get. I'm going to tell you these things to do every day. And if you want to do them, then it's going to feel really good. <laughs> it's be a lot of fun. We'll have a lot of fun together, but if you don't, that's great too. So I think, um, you know, we're, we're, we're recruiting guys that are um, excited about that and excited about building something here and making it their own you know, and, and, and having that be and kind of putting it back on them to say like, Hey, this is going to be your brand. Like you come here, you're going to make the brand. You're yeah. going to have an opportunity to make Fairfield lacrosse. And, and I think to a lot of guys, that's exciting, you know? Um, and so, you know, one of the things we, we did a lot of when I was at Yale was, was communication with um, high school coaches not only lacrosse coaches, but football or, you know, others, their basketball coach, whatever it might be. And, and um, guidance counselors obviously was a big part of recruiting it in the Ivy League too. You'd have conversation with guidance counselors to, to, to make sure the kid was on track academically and that type of thing. But I think talking to other people that, that, that know these high school kids and, and what they're really all about character-wise, um, getting some, you know, getting some color on their actual toughness. Like, you know, and Coach A says this all the time. It's like, all right, well, when you talk to his high school coach, did he, you know, is, is he telling you that the kid played in a uh, football game with a cast on and he played it with a broken wrist or did he, you know, did he have to sit out because he had the sniffles, you know, like what's, what's his kid's true toughness and character like, you know, and getting some, some color and some, some, um, some, some stories there, I think has been one of the things I've encouraged my assistants to do here too, is we've just been trying to talk to as many club and high school coaches as we can to get, get the real, the real deal on these kids, you know, and, and bring in kids that we, that, that, that aren't scared to, to work. And um, like I said, be committed to something bigger than themselves. So, yeah. Kind of, now specifically, um, what are you looking for out of offensive players? So obviously I think, you know, the, the, we joke that the big unicorn is always the skilled athletic attackman, right? So yeah, like a unicorn. So those guys, we'd love to, to be able to recruit more of them, but uh, they're just, they don't exist. So, um, you know, the first thing we, we brought in in our 20 class, I think a bunch of guys that can play both ways from the midfield um, to two-way guys, what we were talking about before. Yep. So you, we've been recruiting to that system. Um, you know, defensively, 
I like guys that can that move really well and they can run and similar to the two way midi, but a guy that, that can is is you know not necessarily a long stick, not necessarily a close guy, but can play a little bit of both. Very versatile, uh, moves well, um, like I said, and uh, and can 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 apply that you know finish finishing checks and get out and make make offenses feel uncomfortable. Um, and then I think. Um, you know, we're we're in need of faceoff guys, so we're we're bringing a couple guys in our twenty class that we're excited about faceoff wise, um, which is which is a beast of its own and a, probably a conver- another conversation, the faceoff. But oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Save that one for another podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think we're we're excited. We're 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 definitely bringing in some some big time athletes. Um, you know, we're looking for multi sport guys. Um. Love, love guys that play football and basketball or, or soccer and basketball or whatever it might be, you know, soccer, wrestling. Um, but, yeah, we've been excited and encouraged about the response we've gotten from yeah, the, I bet. not only the 2020s, but the 2021s. You know, we've got uh, a handful of commitments in, in the 2021 class right now that we're really nice. excited about so, from some really good programs, too. That's another thing that we've been philosophically trying to do as well, bring kids in from, from good high school programs that we know um, are getting coached and 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 um, are playing against good competition. So it matters so much because they've been coached, and you know you can be the greatest greatest kid ever, but if you've never been coached, and all of a sudden you get coached, and you're not really used to being coached. Totally. Yeah. Right. Right. It's like yeah, that's a that's a question we ask. It's like, hey, does your high school coach yell at you? <laughs> <laughs> are you used to that? Are you gonna be okay when you're on the line and the 10 second countdown hits? Yeah. Well, hopefully it'll be your, you know, it'll be your, it'll be your upperclassmen that are the ones that are holding everybody accountable and you better get used to that. That's right. Exactly. Um, What about, are you recruiting um, box players? We're trying. Yeah. Yeah, We've got, we've uh, been talking to a handful of Canadian kids. Um, No commitments yet, but we've, uh, you know, offered a few and got a few more visiting and, trying to find the right ones. They typically haven't had them here in the last few years. I don't know if that was a philosophy or, or what, but uh, um, yeah, we, we'd love to get get a player from up north down here and score some goals for us. <laughs> when you're when you're actually watching kids play, what are the sort of the things that you're looking for? What comes to mind as far as on either side, both sides of the ball, just as like the things that you're like, that you just n- like to notice and note? Uh, yeah. You know, it's a good question. I think like the, the every year, the more I've gone out and evaluated, it, it's been more, you know, it's become simpler. Like to me, it's it's one. It's like how many lacrosse plays they're making. So it's like, you know, specifically, like, is it how many, you know, passes is a defenseman knocking down? How many times does he get that finish check and, and create a turnover? How many times, how many ground balls does he pick up as a defenseman? You know what I mean? Uh-huh. How many, um, you know turnovers is that attackman have on the ride so it's like positive lacrosse plays right so it's like simple like when you're evaluating like all right how many is this guy just out here like making positive lacrosse plays for his team and then two it's it's honestly it's just athleticism and how well they move you know so you know I think it's it it sounds simple and cliche but I think those are the two things like when I go out and evaluate I'm just like all right is this guy you know creating positive lacrosse plays for his team and is he doing it in an athletic fashion and at a, and a higher level athletically than maybe the next guy you know yeah and then but what about the iq piece because i mean everybody wants the athlete but then at yeah. the end of the day the smartest guys play totally 
And I think for me, that comes with the uh, where they're coming from high school wise. Yeah. It's people talk, you know, you can sometimes sense like, Hey, this guy's an intelligent player, but like during the summertime, you watch a kid play for even one game. It's like, okay, it's hard for me to tell if that kid's what his actual lacrosse IQ is. Right. Right. I'm putting faith, more faith in the evaluation piece on his high school or his club acumen than I am the one game of his that I watched him play over the summer in terms of his lacrosse IQ, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so like when I go and watch, let's say I see a kid play once, two games over the summer, it's like, all right, well, how many good lacrosse plays did he make and how athletic is he? And then is he from a good program? Then he's probably going to have a good lacrosse IQ. For sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think IQ uh, definitely comes from the coaching. And it also there's, there's, there's innate sort of elements of knowing how to play and being coached, like you said, but you know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Stuff. I mean, you, you can see when kids are out of place or, 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 you know, don't play well with others when they're out there and that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Not so good in the sandbox with anybody. Yeah, else. totally. It's like, you have to put stock into a showcase evaluation versus like a, maybe like a high level club evaluation, you know, where the Speaking kid. Speaking of which, I mean, like, I just feel like showcases are really good for some players and they're usually the players that aren't as good in the sandbox are better off at a showcase, honestly, and they'll stand out more at a showcase. percent. Uh, whereas the players that are really the ones that are going to play for you. I mean, I mean, the best players are the best players sometimes, but we also, we also know that like, you know, if somebody doesn't clear through for you, you can't dodge. Right. Right. And, right. you know, and you can't get a look at that defenseman guarding that guy at X when the wings never clear through. So right, it's right. like, uh, what's your sort of take on, would you rather watch club or show? I like, uh, I like a little bit of both to be honest with you. Yeah. Like I think like you can gain something from a showcase evaluation just based on the sheer athleticism point. Yeah. Yeah. You can stand out athletically in those things. Sure. And it's like, all right, well, this kid's athletic. And then it's like, I would love to see him in, in another in a club evaluation or high school evaluation or whatever it might be. Right. Um, so I think like just like I said, like placing some stock into the like where you saw the kid, you yeah. have to take into consideration. You know. No doubt. And this like same with all star games. I mean, like everyone's all fired up for the all star game until the like, committee gets three shifts in it. But um, <laughs> but but if you stand out and dominate that all star game, it tells you something. Correct. Correct. Yeah. You score five goals in an all star game, you know that kid could score. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Well, um, coach really, uh, fired up that you came on this uh, podcast and, uh, incredibly interesting stuff and, and, and thoughtfulness behind everything we talked about. And I want to wish you the best of luck with the stags this, uh, this year in 2020. Yeah. Thanks, Jamie. I really appreciate it. Uh, let me know if you uh, want to come out to practice anytime. I will definitely will. I'll be in touch. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you again. All right, Max. Yep. Take care, man. Thanks. Take care. The Philacrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program, now featuring a seven-day free trial period. And here's your host, Jamie Monroe, with more information on how you can get your hands on some of the best lacrosse content out there for free. How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to my podcasts. I've had so much fun doing them. I only wish that I'd started recording my lacrosse conversations like 25 or 30 years ago. Now, if you like these podcasts, you will love the content I've created in the JM3 coaches training programs and the academies. Whether you're a coach or a player or a parent, there's so much great information for you guys. I've done this content for men's lacrosse and women's lacrosse, for box lacrosse, field lacrosse, youth lacrosse. And the great news is I've created a seven-day free trial. 
So if you're tired of endlessly searching the internet for great content, just go to www.jm3sports.com slash free trial. And you can get access to all of the content I've created for free for seven days. Trust me, when you take a look at it, you're going to want more. Almost everybody gets hooked. All right, enjoy the rest of the podcast.